Matthew chapter 27 is where we're going to focus our attention, but we're actually going to consider just the last verse of chapter 26. We're not quite out of 26 yet. And if you peek ahead to 27, we'll be there for quite some time as well. Uh, Matthew, uh, whoever made up the divisions in, in uh, Matthew got, got a little lazy, I guess, with, uh, with the verse, not verse counts in his previous ones, because some of the other ones were a lot shorter. But um, we are going to just consider the first five verses this morning of Matthew 27, and I'll read those for us this morning, and then we will get right in. Hear now the word of the one true living. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed. And he went and hanged himself. What do you do when you fail? It was the question that we considered last Sunday as we considered Peter's failure in the courtyard trial. He denied the Lord three times. At the end of chapter 26, from verse 57 to the end, Matthew has been contrasting two men in their trials, Jesus and then Peter. As we've seen, Jesus standing before the priests, standing before the, the elders, the Sanhedrin council, remains faithful under fire, submissive to the will of God at every detail. At the same time, outside in the courtyard... In his own trial, before servant girls and bystanders, Peter fails miserably, denying Jesus over and over again. Today, we see another contrast between two men. This time, it's Peter and Judas, two disciples of Jesus, two friends of Jesus, And at this point in the story, without jumping ahead to what most of us already know, at this point in the story, Peter and Judas look like the same kind of guy. One betrayed the Lord, one denied the Lord. Both of them have done horrible things, awful things. Both of them have failed Christ. And as we will see, both of them will regret what they've done. But it's at this juncture that these two men take very different paths. And so this morning I want to consider once again what we are to do when we fail Christ. As I said last week, the Scriptures remind us over and over that we do not have to sin. But we will. So then what? Last week, I told you that we need to look to Christ. He's our mediator. He is that interceding advocate on our behalf. He is the propitiation for our sin. He is the satisfying sacrifice for sin. 
I want to take that thought and develop it a little further in the time that we have this morning. But we need to understand before we, as we go into this, that to sin means to fail Christ. Failing to honor Him as the Lord, failing to obey Him as the authority, failing to obey His Word, failing to do what pleases God. To sin is to fail. So, how do we respond when we sin or when we fail? Here's what I want you to get. The only response when you fail Christ is to turn to Christ our merciful High Priest. This is a process that the Scripture calls repentance. Some of you, maybe all of you, are familiar with the term. But let's really consider the topic of repentance. Though both Judas and Peter sinned, they ended up in very different places. Like Peter, Judas regretted his sin. But Judas never repented. And this made a huge difference in his life. Now let's briefly look at the last verse of chapter 26 and consider Peter. Where did Matthew leave off with Peter? Well, verse 75 says that he hears the word, uh, the, 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 crow, the crow of the rooster. He remembers the words of Jesus And the very last sentence, he went out and he wept bitterly. Peter is a broken man. He is devastated about what just happened. About his repeated denial of Jesus. Last Sunday night, we considered all of the Gospel accounts of this particular story. And each of them provides some very unique details and, and really uh, a gripping lines. Uh, and I think uh, one about, where I think it was either Luke or John, where it says that Jesus looked at him as, these words, as, as the rooster crowed. And it was not just the hearing of the rooster, but the, the making eye contact with the very one whom He had just denied and it broke Peter's heart. He realized where he, had, where he had just gone. I want to imagine what's running through Peter's mind. Matthew doesn't really tell us. So let your mind just wander a little bit. Had you been in this situation, what would you be thinking about? I just, I just denied my friend. I just let my friend hang out there all by himself. There's no support. Of course, Peter knew he wasn't going to go and run and rescue him out of there, but there was no standing by him even from a distance. He's denied his friend. Worse, he's denied the Lord. He's abandoned the Son of God. What have I done? Can you imagine the, 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 the thoughts that are just rushing through Peter's mind? Where am I going to go from here? I'm so ashamed of myself. I wonder what do you think he was thinking about? Do you think that he began to doubt himself? Do you think that Peter ever began to question, as many of us do, if he ever really truly was a believer in Christ? Because I just did this awful thing. I mean, nobody does that. Nobody who's truly a Christian. Nobody who truly loves Jesus does that. I wonder if Peter began to wrestle with the fact that he's even truly a follower. 
In situations like this, logic and reasoning and objectivity become very slippery things. It's hard to handle truth as we jump from one extreme thought to the other and they just can bombard us. And it's hard to think clearly. I wonder if Peter had the thought, did I really mean what I said back there? Was this something that I spoke because I really truly believe this? Or is this an accident? Is this who I really am? And Matthew doesn't really tell us about Peter's frame of mind. He just says that he went out and he bitterly wept. Mark adds, and Mark's the only other person who writes about this particular event, Mark says that he broke down and he wept. Beyond this, we can only imagine the grief and the doubt that Peter experienced. And if you're like me, you don't have to think too hard to understand that feeling because we've all done things that I think that we can really beat ourselves up over. I can't believe I just did that. I can't believe I just said that. I know better than this. I wonder if Peter ever thought, was I really ever his friend? If I treated him like that in his greatest need, was I ever really a friend? Real friends don't do that. Real friends don't do what I just did. I wonder if Peter wondered, could I ever be forgiven? Or is it too late now? But instead of finishing Peter's story here, Matthew just turns our attention to the other side of the coin, if you will, to Judas. We'll read later on in other Gospels in the New Testament what happens to Peter, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But turn your attention to Judas as, he, as chapter 27 begins, because here we find another man who, like Peter, failed, who, like Peter, is grieving over what he has done, but with one very big difference. In verses 1 and 2, we find that as morning comes, the priests are ready to convict Jesus. They're ready to execute Him. They've they've got all that they need to condemn Him according to Jewish law. Now they needed to condemn Him by Roman law. They were unable to execute anybody They needed the Romans to do it. And so that's why verses 1 and 2 say that they delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. They needed Pilate to take care of this. And it's at this point in the story that Judas realizes the error of his ways. And I wonder, maybe he finally realizes how far the Jews were willing to take this. Maybe Judas finally can't deal with the shame and the guilt anymore. And so he goes to the priests in verse 3, and it says that when he saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. It's an important phrase there. And he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Notice, Judas changed his mind about the whole deal, and he wanted out. I don't know if Judas was expecting for it all to be reversed, for everything to be put back together, but Judas went back to them and says, I'm sorry that this is what happened. He regretted his decision. He realizes that what he did was wrong. He even calls it sin by betraying innocent blood in verse number 4. 
Now, some of our English Bibles use the word repented here to describe Judas' attitude. You may see that in yours. Uh, the, the English Standard Version uses the uh, phrase, he changed his mind. Um, this word, and I, I believe me, I pushed until the very end. I'm not going to use Greek words. We're just going to talk about it in English. But we need to understand what's going on here. The word that is being used here is, is the word metamelomai, okay? There you go. There's a $5 word. And it simply means to feel sorry about something. It means to have remorse. It means to regret. It means to change your mind. But when the New Testament teaches of true repentance, it uses a very different word, the word metanoia. Uh, this emphasizes a change of mind like the other, but it also emphasizes a resulting change in your life. Not just a change in your mind and your thinking, but a resulting change of action. And here's the difference between Judas and Peter. Though Judas changed his mind, it didn't change anything else. He brought back the blood money to the priests, and that's mainly because he had made the deal with them. But I want you to consider about who these priests are at this point in history. The priests are the earthly mediators between God and His people. When the people came to worship God, they brought animal sacrifices. And who did they deliver them to? The priest. And then the priest would offer the sacrifice to God. And they were those, those in-betweens. The, in the people of God and the God of the people and the priests there in the middle. They offered the sacrifices. They were supposed to be the compassionate shepherds of the people of God, and yet, notice their reaction to Judas's confession, distraught Judas's confession, I have sinned, I betrayed innocent blood, what do they say? It's that to us. See to it yourself. In other words, so what? We don't care. Take care of this on your own. Go handle it yourself. No sympathy. No compassion, no mercy, no help. The priests don't care. Judas, though, hates what he's done. He hated the action, he hated his blood money, and he hated himself for what he had done. So he throws the pieces of silver down in verse 5. He throws them into the temple and went out and hung himself. That's how Judas handled his grief. And just like that, Judas is sorry in verse 4 and dead in verse 5. He handled his guilt and his grief in all the wrong ways. Judas was right to be sorry for what he had done. He had done a very wrong thing. Judas was right to regret his actions. But he showed regret without repentance. In other words, Judas had the wrong kind of grief. Now, keep your Bible in, uh, keep your finger in Matthew 27, but I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. In the context of what's, what, we're, what we're about to read is that Paul is writing to the Corinthians about a problem that they were having in their church. And previously, he had written them a very harsh, stern upsetting letter, probably some kind of rebuke, and it caused the Corinthians a lot of grief. 
They were really upset about it. And so then when we read 2 Corinthians, we're reading the follow-up to this very upsetting letter. And I'm going to begin reading in verse number 9. Paul says, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So get this. There are two kinds of grief. There is a worldly grief, and there is a godly grief. And one produces repentance that leads to salvation. One produces death. And this is exactly what we see portrayed in the lives of Judas and Peter. Both grieved at what they've done, but they both ended up differently because they both had two different kinds of grief. Peter's story continues into the New Testament. We don't read about him in Matthew by name, but the other Gospels talk about him the rest of the New Testament. And how do we see Peter uh, coming back from this? Well, first of all, we have to go backwards in time and think about what Jesus said to him in Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 32 is Luke's part where Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. But in that, Jesus said to him, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter was being told, you will deny me. That's a certainty. But he was also being told, you will turn again. You will turn away in denial, which he did, and you will later turn back or return to Christ. Now, after the resurrection, John 21 talks, tells us about the restoration of Peter. Jesus comes to him. They have breakfast. And Jesus uh, tells him, feed my sheep and follow me. Reissues that call of discipleship and, 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 and places that, that, uh, that gives him those words of, of uh, forgiveness there and, and restoration. And we, as we read through the, Old uh, the New Testament, through Acts and through the, through the letters and even Peter's own epistles, we see Peter as an apostle. We see Peter as an early church leader, a staunch defender and preacher of the faith. We see Peter writing part of the Bible. Something clearly happened in Peter's life, and the grief that he experienced produced repentance and was revealed in spiritual fruit. Judas's worldly grief just brought him death. A verse later. Peter's denial story, as we looked at last week, teaches us that good intentions are not good enough. Judas's story reminds us that grief is good, but it's not enough either. It is right to feel sorry for your sin, but regret is not the same thing as repentance. Both men had a change of mind. Both men regretted what they'd done. Both men grieved, but Judas's worldly grief went no further. One said, worldly sorrow does not progress beyond remorse. But godly grief, on the other hand, produces repentance. And repentance produces change. In other words, repentance bears fruit. John the Baptist, in, earlier in Matthew, when he was preaching, he commanded them, he preached to them, repent, and then he said, bear fruit in keeping with 
repentance. He's telling them repentance looks like something. Repentance does something. You can tell that it's happened because it did something. Repentance originally referred to this change of mind, but as the New Testament progresses, it, uh, it takes on a new meaning as a return to God. Not just simply a changing of mind, but an actual returning to God. And this is why Paul could write to the Corinthians that repentance leads to life or salvation because repentance is a turn to God, to Christ, who is the giver of life, who is the source of eternal salvation. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament declare and teach us that those who turn to God, who repent of their sin, are healed and forgiven. Now you can jot these two references down and compare them uh, later. John 12.40 is a citation of Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. Those of you who were at the, uh, the camp meeting at the, at the ranch this week, Thursday, we looked at Isaiah 6, uh, 9, and 10. And God says in both places, one's ref- referring to the other, that if people would see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn to Him, He would heal them. So repentance is the key. Turning is the key. Repenting makes the difference. Repenting makes the grief worthwhile. It is good to regret what you have done. It is good to regret your sin, to show remorse. But without repentance, it only produces death. So when you sin, grief is an appropriate response. You should be sorry that you have done the thing that you did. You have rebelled against your Creator. When you sin, when I sin, we are shaking our fist at God saying, you will not lead me. I will do it my way. You might not have said those words. You might never dare to think to shake your fist at God, but every time we act in sin, we're acting in rebellion to the Lord. Judas shows us that anybody can regret his sin. There must be something more. You must turn back to Christ. That's the solution. That is repentance. When you fail Christ, the only answer is to turn back to Christ. Because you turned away from Him. You went astray. You went your own way. So as soon as you recognize that and the mess that that caused, you know what the natural thing to do? Is to run and hide. It's not natural to turn to Christ. That seems counterintuitive to the natural man. That's what our first father and mother did. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They hid themselves. They did not run to God for help. They ran from Him. They tried to hide themselves among the trees. They tried to cover their shame and nakedness themselves. And this is no different than what Judas did. Judas compounded his trouble by going to the wrong people with his grief. He went to priests who didn't care. Who couldn't take away his sin and didn't want to try to help at all. And so instead of that, then Judas takes matter into his own hands and kills himself. If only he had turned to the very one whom he had betrayed. We'll talk about that a little bit more tonight. But if Judas had repented, as the Scriptures say, he would have been healed. 
but he didn't. You are in, you're, you're at a moment of decision. And every time that you fail Christ, there's that moment. What are you going to do with your sin? The answer, the only real answer is repent. Turn from your sin to Christ. Repentance is not just something that we do to be saved, to get saved. We talk about that. If you want to uh, uh, be forgiven of your sins, you need to repent of your sins. Yes, amen. And then every day after that, you need to repent of your sin because you didn't stop sinning when you got saved. You repent of your sin because you're saved. Because God has given you eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that understands so that you can turn to Christ. Repentance is a gift that God gives to us so that we may turn to Him. So Christian, rejoice because God has allowed you to turn from your sin. Without the gift of God, you can't do it. But because of the gift and the grace of repentance, you no longer have to live with guilt and shame for what you've done. You don't need to see to it yourself with penance. You don't need another person to absolve you from guilt. You have direct access to the great and merciful High Priest, Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, you will never one time hear Him say, when you come to Him and confess your sin, you will never hear Him say, what is that to me? See to it yourself. Instead, Jesus has taken our sin upon Himself and exchanged our sin for His righteousness. Yes, sin in our lives should bring remorse and regret and sorrow. We should be sorry for our sin, but don't let it stop there. Repentance must follow it. So how do you do that? How do you repent of your sin? How do you know if the grief you have is worldly or godly? Well, ask yourself, why am I sorry? My parents used to ask me that question. Why are you sorry? Are you sorry that you got caught? Well, yeah, Mom. This spanking hurts. Grounding is not fun. I'm sorry you caught me. But is it more than that? I imagine there are people sitting in prison today who are sorry that they did the things that they did for the families that they destroyed, for the lives that they have ended. But is that it? Or are we sorry because we have rebelled against God? Are we grieved that we have behaved in a way that dishonors Christ and does not please God? You consider that. Why am I sorry? Why do I feel grieved? Then take that to the high priest who can truly help you. Confess your sins to Him. Agree that what He says about your sin. Say it is sin just as God has said it is sin. And then trust in His satisfying sacrifice for your sin. 
Believe the promise of forgiveness and cleansing and restoration and healing and then rest in the mercy of Christ. Rejoice in the grace of Christ and then commit by His grace and by the power of the Spirit that He has given to you to walk in obedience and submission from here on out. This probably won't be the last time that you sin. But that doesn't mean you're giving up. It's not the attitude of, well, I can ask for forgiveness later. Go ahead and do what you want to do, and then just ask for forgiveness later. No, it's, I'm getting up off my knees, I'm, re- I'm reminded, I'm forgiven, and I intend to not do this again. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, and then make it your aim to please Him in all that you do. Ezra told the people of Israel, in Ezra 10 verse 11, to make confession to the Lord and do His will. That's confession. That's repentance. Return to obedience. This is what we are to do. When a Christian truly repents, it will make a difference in his life. The old Puritan Thomas Watson says that repentance is a grace of God's Spirit whereby a sinner is inwardly humble and visibly reformed. It looks like something. You can tell something has changed. That's what Paul preached in Acts 26. He said the message he preached everywhere was that all people must repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. What are deeds of repentance? The things that people do who know that they've been forgiven of their sin. They know that Jesus is their Lord and they live as obedient servants to Him. They present themselves as living sacrifices and strive to glorify God in their body because they belong to God. When they stray from God, when they fail to keep His law, to walk in His ways, they humbly confess their sin. They repent Return to obedience and joyful submission to His rule. Christian, give thanks that God has given you the grace of repentance. He has not cast you off forever. He has not given up on you because you sinned yet again. Because you did that thing that you thought you should never even have considered doing. Instead, God has provided us a way back through repentance. Know that when you turn back, and when you turn to Christ, you find a merciful high priest who has already made the payment for your sin, who has graciously interceded for you and continues to do so, and who has granted you repentance that leads to salvation and eternal life. Our Father, we thank You that You have given us Jesus. We're thankful that You have given us Your words. And when we deny and disobey, we're thankful that You have given us the grace of repentance. Thank You for convicting us when we sin. Thank you for 
not letting us go on in sinful ignorance or in hard-heartedness, but for having pricked us, made us feel grieved that we have denied you or denied your authority in our lives. Help us to quickly recognize when we have strayed. Help us to truly grieve over our sin and repent. Find the restoration and healing that your word promises to us as we live lives of obedience and submission to you. For those who are carrying the weight of sin this morning, we pray that they may find rest as they turn to Christ. May they no longer carry the shame of their sin, but find that Christ has already done it. May we go forward committed to doing what is right and ready to repent when we fail. For your glory, for your name's sake, we pray through Jesus. Amen.